I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 290. And welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. While this week's song, Reason, by Unspoken, points to God's complete love for us, the opening lyrics made me think of a special woman in Scripture that I wanted to explore more this week. I can't wait to take you along with me, but first, let's listen to the chorus. He put that hunger in your heart. While that was the chorus, the opening lyrics of this song say this. This year's felt like four seasons of winter, and you'd give anything you think to feel the sun. Always reaching, always climbing, always second-guessing the timing. Now, for whatever reason, I thought of Sarah when I hear these lyrics. You see, because Abram and Sarai had a declaration from the Lord, a promise, that just never seemed to come. And so four seasons of winter? Yeah. Always second-guessing the timing? Absolutely. So one of the Bible interaction tool exercises we're going to use this week is to explore a topic. And I call these exercises bites for short. They help you take a bite out of scripture, B-I-T-E, Bible interaction tool exercises. I actually have over 20 bites that I use, some more regularly than others. You can get the top five bites that I use and how to use them when you subscribe to my weekly communication by visiting michellenizat.com. And the topic that we are exploring this week is actually a person. Uh, it's Sarah, which leads to the next bite, which is remembering the people you read about in the Bible were real. The Bible is not merely a book of fictional stories designed to teach you stuff. It, it's, not, it's not a fable. It's a grand story of God's love and purposes. And within that grand story, we get to meet people that look and act surprisingly like us. They laugh when they're not supposed to. They lie to avoid conflict. They trust and obey and they doubt and take things into their own hands. And it's funny how we often we often read the Bible to find ourselves in it. And trust me, we are in there. But we completely miss the fact that despite our weaknesses and complete inability to follow through, God is strong and faithful and just and true and loving. And that's what we find in the Bible. So yeah, I completely agree with our song this week. His love is the reason to keep on believing because there is nothing within ourselves that gives us the reason. It's only found 
in him. Okay, so how do we go about exploring this topic of Sarah? Well, you could take a couple of different approaches. If you have a study Bible, you could flip to the back and find a concordance, which is a listing of the key words found in the Bible. You could flip to the S's and locate Sarah's name. Now, in my concordance at the back of my Bible, the introduction adds this. It says, readers will find the functionality of this concordance greatly increased if after locating a Bible passage, the cross-reference system is then utilized for further research. Why I happen to agree wholeheartedly. In fact, following the cross-references is another bite that I love to use and did that, and we will do that today. Uh, Another way you could do this, let's say you don't have a study Bible, you could use an online tool like BibleHub.com is one of my favorites. You could type Sarah in the search bar and it will pop up the places in the Bible where Sarah was mentioned. The tricky thing for us here is that Sarah may show up on your list, but Sarah is her new name. She was actually named Sarai originally before God changed her name. So my next piece of advice is just to find the beginning of her story and then read and keep on reading until you get to the end. And although you can't see me, I'm using air quotes on the word end because especially in Sarah's story, while her death in burial is recorded in Genesis, her legacy lives on even for you and me. So that's another that's another bite. Just keep and keep on reading. Now, sometimes we get stuck in a verse here or there and we don't just immerse ourselves in the whole story, right? We just stay in one or two verses. And of course, it depends upon which part of the Bible you're reading in. If you're reading in the Psalms, then keep uh, read and keep on reading. That bite doesn't work as well as when you're in a section of historical narrative, like what we're going to explore in Genesis today. But when you are in the historical narrative in Genesis, the bite of read and keep on reading will help these seemingly small disconnected stories kind of come together better. I have a friend who had a light bulb moment this week through reading bigger sections of scripture. The family line of Jacob all came together for her in one big aha moment. And she basically admitted that she had read small sections individually, but never as a whole. And it all made greater sense to her this week. So that is my prayer for you, that you have your own aha moments as you grow in your knowledge of what the Bible actually says. It's not going to happen every time, but it will happen. So don't give up. Keep keep reading and keep re- keep on reading, okay? So uh, to get the entire context of Sarah's life, we start in Genesis chapter 11. This is the first time we meet Sarah, but remember, at the time, her name was Sarai. She's the wife of Abram. To eventually, his, his name will also change to Abraham, uh, and that also comes later. So let's look in verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the of the Chaldeans, Chaldeans. I'm not sure how to say it. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So if you started in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, you read about how God scattered the people of the world and why. And then there's a bit of genealogy that leads to this family that we're studying in question, Tara's family. And it's okay to start there because that gives you some context. 
Another one of my favorite bites is to read in context. It's a partner to read and keep on reading. If you are studying a smaller section of scripture, I generally say read the chapter before, the chapter you're in, and the chapter after to stay in context or to get the immediate context. In this case, I suggest you read from Genesis chapter 11 through Genesis chapter 23, where you'll read about Sarah's death and burial. And before you get a little bit out of shape because I'm asking you to read more than 10 chapters, When was the last time you immersed yourself in the story of God's Word? As you read these chapters of God's Word, keep in mind that whatever is happening to Abram is happening to Sarai. Also, you'll probably see this in the text, but they seem pretty close as a married couple. So I don't think this is one of those marriages where they don't talk about what happened at work that day. They seem... Uh, pretty close. And, and so it's it's not beyond the pale that they wouldn't talk about what the Lord ta- told each other. Uh, and obviously, when a major events happen, they're together. So in chapter 12, when God calls Abram from the land he is living in to a land he will show him, Sarai's right there with him. So when God says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Sarai is right there with him. As a household, as a family, they are following God. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of pillow talk at night. Remember when God said this, right? And so when Abram was 75, when he did this, and Sarai was 65, and when they arrived in what would eventually be the promised land for the Hebrew people, in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Sarai was there. Whatever was happening to Abram was happening to Sarai. The promises to Abram were going to include Sarai, right? But she was still barren. So throughout the story of Abraham and Sarah and the other people included in the story, like Lot and neighboring kingdoms and peoples and all these different um, people that we read about in these chapters, we begin to learn a little more about Sarah. First of all, we learned that she was very beautiful, so beautiful that Abram lied to the Pharaoh of Egypt when they headed down there during a famine. He said she was his sister, which was a half-truth because she was uh, his father's daughter, uh, but from a different mother. Okay, so we're not going to get into the weeds as to uh, about all of that, but just know that he didn't tell the Pharaoh she was also his wife. Okay, so we know that God doesn't lie and that this is unacceptable behavior, but we also know that despite Abram's questionable life choices, God still blesses him and he increases his wealth even during this time. Now, we don't know how long this little journey to Egypt was, but my question is, what was this whole escapade like for Sarai? <laughs> This is a forever part of their marriage story, just like God's promise to make them into a great nation. God ends up protecting Sarai through plagues on Pharaoh's house. God even blesses Abram and Sarai through great wealth at this time. But we only know all of that because these verses are summarized. So in the grand scheme of God's story, his direction was not thwarted by this lack of faith of Abram, but it was no less impactful on their personal life story. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, these verses are just a few. You read them quickly, you move on, but this is significant. I know we read verses like the ones in 1 Peter chapter 3 
And we think very highly of Sarah, as we should. Verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit to yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. All right. The holy women of the past put their hope in God and they submitted to their husbands, even their ill-conceived ideas, as we see in, in this story in Genesis, when she obeyed Abraham. You are her daughters. You are Sarah's daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. I don't want you to read over that too quickly. If you're a woman, this is a daunting task. And if you're a man reading this, please don't think that this is an easy thing. I really want you to consider, Sarai, how terrifying must it have been to be whisked away into the harem of a pharaoh. You are separated from your household. You're separated from your husband. You're in a foreign land with a foreign language and foreign ways. You are submitting to what your husband intends is for your safety, but you don't feel safe at all. No wonder Peter says we are his daughters if we do, or her daughters, if we do what is right and do not give way to fear, because it was terrifying. Even if all you do is sit and meditate in that area of scripture as you ponder the life of Sarai, It would be enough, but we're going to keep going. All right. Now, eventually God gets them out of the mess they got themselves in in Egypt. And then in chapter 13, Abram and Lot separate. Now, Lot is their nephew, but if you read it like I do, he seems like he's more like a son and they seem very close and have been together as a family since they left the land of Haran. And Sarai is not mentioned in this chapter, but remember, everything that's happening to Abram is happening to her too. The two are one flesh after all, and uh, their family, I mean, a lot was part of their family. So once again, in this chapter, uh, God does whisper the promise again. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. All right, now in chapter 14, Lot and his family and all of his possessions get swept up in a war between kings in the area. And Abram intervenes with the 318 trained fighting men of his household and rescues him. Now, when you read this, don't forget, 318 men in his household are trained for war. Now, to be trained for war, you have to have an opportunity to be trained for war. And I know that we skip over like this great wealth of Abram, or at least we merely consider a blessing without considering the stress of a business that large. Because make no mistake, this is a large household. Sarai would have been a key player in this family business that obviously included battles and war. Now, I get it. My husband is a business owner and he's an entrepreneur and it is a battlefield every day. Some days it is amazing because it provides for immense pleasure and blessing like our house at the lake. At other times, all I can do is listen to the war stories completely 
helpless to help manage the battles that rage around him. And Sarai, I can imagine that she is in the same kind of position. So in chapter 15, we see the promise whispered again. Uh, This time it's sealed with a covenant. So when God comes to Abram in a vision, Abram boldly asks a question. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, later on in this exchange, God seals this promise with a covenant ceremony. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's life-changing. But it happened to Abram, not Sarai. And while her man might keep believing God, she decides to take it into her own hands. So in chapter 16, it's all about how Sarai gave her servant Hagar to Abram to bear him a son. She does indeed, but it really backfires on Sarai. This tidy household Sarah has built begins to start crashing down around her. And it says in verse 4, When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Not Sarai's finest moment, all right? So just like her husband, her actions are evidence of a lack of trust in God's declared word and primarily prompted this time by his timing, not matching her ideas of good timing, right? So whereas Abram's escapade in Egypt seems to reflect a lack of belief that God can protect us in seemingly impossible situations, Sarai's lack of belief is in his timing. And in chapter 17, we see Abram and Sarai get new names, all right? So, and this is God's whispering the promise yet again. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting lasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, Abram meant exalted father, where Abraham means father of many, which was the whispered promise over and over and over again. And Sarah meant she that strives, whereas Sarah means kings of people shall come from her. Wow. Now that's something to chew on, right? Now, I know we're running out of time today, and I don't want to miss this part. In Genesis chapter 18, three men show up near Abraham's tent. He immediately recognizes them as important. We know that because he scrambles to show them great honor. It turns out it's the Lord and two angels. And here's the whisper again, only this time it had a due date. Where is your wife, Sarah? Sarah, verse 9, and they asked him, 
there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, I don't know what you would do, but I'm pretty sure I can't blame Sarah at this point for what happens next. In verse 10, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Now, I love what I found in Meredith's Faith Girls Study Bible. Um, It reads this. It says, it seems like Sarah was out of line to laugh at God. But do you ever laugh when something seems impossible to believe, giggle when you're really nervous, snicker at somebody to make yourself feel better? Sarah probably laughed for all those reasons, probably like you, but the best laughter is the kind in Genesis 21. Look there and see how delighted Sarah was with God and laugh with her. So let's go there together. Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac, which by the way means he laughs, uh, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and God commanded him. As God commanded him, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, we barely scratched the surface of Sarah's life, and I know we're out of time, and I really hesitated throughout this whole discussion to make too many conclusions for you. I really just wanted you to suck, I wanted to suck you into her story to see if you would take it on for yourself this week, and I really hope you do. So what's next? We'll dive into Genesis chapters 11 through 23. Read with Sarah on your mind. Take notes. Uh, Begin to understand who she was as a woman, who she was as a wife who she was as a mother, and who she was as a woman of God. Get creative, maybe. Write a historical fiction account of something that happened to her in this text. But most of all, remember that Sarah was real. She was a part of God's overarching plan to rescue all of us from sin and death. But she was a real woman with real feelings, real fears, and was a real example that nothing is impossible with God. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellenizat.com. You can hop on Twitter at michellenizat or Instagram at michellenizat. Facebook is michelle L. Nizat. That's my public page. And we can talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Kat from Vermont, Mary from Texas, Lori from California, Holly from Texas, Cheryl from New York, and David from Indiana. Welcome. New subscribers to my website will benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a great place to start, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. You also get an email recap of the week's episode, and you get instant access to any of the extra resources I create from time to time for my episodes. And all of that is just my way of saying 
Thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? This, of course, encourages me, but also helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Tubestall, who writes about the episode when I used You Say, says, wow, thanks for adding so much to an already great song. And thank you for leaving such a kind review. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using the song God's Not Done With You by Taryn Wells to help us dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 290. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.